What's up, QAA listeners? The fun games have begun. I found a way to connect to the internet. I'm sorry, boy. Welcome, listener, to Chapter 146 of the QAnon Anonymous Podcast, the Live Crokin episode. As always, we are your hosts, Jake Rokitansky, Julian Field, and Liv Agar. To write this introduction on Liz Crokin, the seminal QAnon decoder and influencer, I visited her Telegram channel, where she's followed by nearly 50,000 people. Like others, Liz's online domain has shrunk considerably since her heyday, devastated by the public-private operation to censor Q content from major social media platforms. In her Telegram bunker, I aim to get a quick snapshot of Liz Crokin's current mind state by taking a look at her latest posts. I found two videos she posted today of her at a gun range shooting a CZ P09 pistol, which I had to look into, with some assistance from uh, someone working at the range. Forward. Take your sights. Gray X. Beautiful. She crushes the first target, but struggles a little in the second, explaining shooting with one hand that has two decapitated fingers. Clearly, her warrior spirit had remained undaunted. Following the videos, Crokin posted a remastered version of the original Q-Pilling video, Joe M's The Plan to Save the World, demonstrating her continued interest in red-pilling the planet. Her latest post, as if to confirm that she's still actively creating content, stated, I'm trying to put together all of Isaac Cappy's best videos. Please post below what you have in the comments. Thank you, patriots. Certainly a far cry from Liz's situation last summer, when the QAnon documentary she was heavily featured and involved in, Out of Shadows, was trending across mainstream platforms. She was since featured in the less flattering HBO documentary, Q Into the Storm, where she made faces upon being informed that 8chan had a child pornography problem. <laughs> On the flip side, she's still the woman who red-pilled sitting congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. This week, Liz's doppelganger, Liv, will set out to profile what is arguably the top female baker in all of the Q-universe. Then Jake will take us away with a story about Liv coming face to face with the subject of this episode. What happens next, you will not believe. Liz Crokin. Early on with Q, and related conspiracy theories that preceded Q, a majority of the people who were pilled were young white male shut-ins that regularly browsed boards like 4chan. The transition from these individuals who could not only stomach the content posted on the Chan boards, but actively enjoyed it, to the current general base of Q supporters, who are generally old, white, Christian fundamentalists, is a somewhat mysterious one. <laughs> so what motivates someone who doesn't browse the Chan boards to get pilled early on? Let's say someone pilled so early, they're pilled before Q posts their first drop. So early that they're Marjorie Taylor Greene's introduction into QAnon in 2017. On this episode, I'll be going over the story of Liz Crokin, how she went from being an award-winning tabloid columnist to someone so pilled they introduced a now-sitting congresswoman to QAnon. Liz Crokin began as a journalist working for Fox Chicago at 17 years old. She then got a journalism degree at the University of Iowa while she was working on her degree, then later also for the State Department under the Bush admin. Shortly after graduating, Liz put her degree to work in 2002, where she wrote for the Chicago Tribune's gossip tabloid Red Eye, doing the weekly celebrity gossip column, which would be renamed to Liz in the Loop. Fun fact, or maybe not so fun fact, Liz Crokin did graduate from the same high school that I attended. What? Damn. 
yeah i was and i was looking i was doing some research on her last night and uh i yeah she is from glenview illinois which is oh, like a neighboring no. town to where i'm from Dude. which is completely it like what's it's in the water up, in that it, school but it also tracks because it's like a very sort of like wealthy North Shore suburb of Chicago. And like a, there's a lot of conservatives up there. So I can just imagine her as this kind of like pilled, like rebel conservative, like, uh, you know, North Shore. St- like it, it like makes sense. But it also it, it underscores the fact that, um, you know, a lot of these QAnon promoters uh, do come from uh, insanely wealthy backgrounds. Mm. Did you ever like see her? Like, what's the age difference? The age difference is she's like, I mean, she's probably like six or seven years ahead of me. So we were, I mean, we, it's very possible that we had some of the same teachers. Oh um, boy. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying is like, you know, was the instruction, did it play a role in QAnon? Is that high school responsible? No. I mean, this is, this is also. Next to a town, uh, if you'll remember, uh, of of a woman who put uh, a, a mannequin dressed in uh, QAnon regalia uh, in her storefront window. So it is right. overall. I mean, I didn't realize it at the time, uh, you know, because I was just trying to trying to make it through high school as somebody who didn't play sports. Um, but it it does, you know, strike me uh, in retrospect as a somewhat pillable area. Pillable. I like that. Which 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 makes no sense because there is literally no oppression there. It's very very pretty area, good schools, uh you know, there's there's a lot of money flowing, a very safe area. You know, no risk of Antifa, you know, no risk of Antifa. In in fact, the the only sort of um drama when I was really growing up is um a couple swastikas got painted on some garages. So, uh you know, just that just just that yeah okay, just cool. that so yeah that doesn't seem worrying either yeah this i mean that's perfect for like the pillable environment totally mm-hmm. safe yeah. place for for someone like a secret nazi yeah like a secret nazi underground yeah. i like when travis is just kind of taking a vacation because we get to just follow jake's thoughts to the end where we're like there's a na- there's a nazi underground under my ex high school and it, and Liz Crokin was a part of it, and that's what. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you got you want you want to hear something interesting? Is yes. actually under my high school, um, there was a sex. So that there was originally a pool, and then that pool, like I don't know, it was like bad, or I don't know, it was leaking, or it wasn't up to safety guidelines, or some shit. And so instead of destroying the pool, they just built like a pool on top of the other pool. Oh, good. So underneath the high school, there's like this abandoned pool. And uh, there was always there was always like rumors of like how to get down there, that there were like secret yeah. ways that you could get to the secret pool. And then I never went. I never went. But it did make it into a script of mine once. A layer beneath the pool is a native burial ground. Or a basement <laughs> that one of the teachers has access to. <laughs> it's where the teachers go to smoke dope. Yeah. What I find most interesting about this period of Liz's life, when she is writing gossip columns, concerns her column about celebrity relationships called Lala Liz, which also I will be stealing that name as well for another podcast. Oh, God. Along myself, Lala Liv. Mm-hmm. Uh, this column is essentially packed to the brim with unfounded and highly speculative bakes about celebrity relationships. In one of her columns for Splash, in December of 2012, for instance, Liz writes, I reported in a recent column that Ben Affleck and Kristen Stewart were out on a dinner date focusing on their upcoming film project, Focus. I wrote that I wouldn't be surprised if a romance blossomed between the two offset because 
let's face it, both stars are notorious for hooking up with their co-stars. I hear that the chemistry between Kristen and Ben is electric. If you saw them together and didn't know who they were, you would definitely think that they were a couple, my source said. One thing is certain. The sparks will be flying between the sheets for these two actors, on set at least. So this is great. So like she went from basically baking Ben Affleck's bulge to QAnon. Essentially. I mean, that would seem like it's an absurdly large distance, but... I mean, I don't know. I don't read gossip columns, but <laughs> I'm assuming this is about the level of like wild yeah. speculation that's contained in them. Wait, you've never picked up like a cheap magazine or like had one on a, like a dentist, like a dentist office, and you read it. Zoomer, I pick up my phone. Oh, that's you know we've lost a lot. <laughs> she probably doesn't even know who Bat Boy is. <laughs> I've seen my fair share of Us Weeklies and In Touch, and I gotta say, usually the gossip is sort of centered around. You know, so-and-so were photographed together. Could this mean that they're dating again? As opposed to so-and-so were photographed together. Soon their relationship will bloom. It's inevitable. Like, they're even in this, they're... That's the whole point of not having photos and having someone like her is she writes the fanfic, uh, the slash fic, essentially. She writes, like, the kind of beginning of the imaginary fuck and she adds in the fake source so it's like it's not even a fanfic it's like this is real actually yeah yeah i know ben affleck's best friend and he told me matt damon told me (laughs) i I hear ben affleck and Kristen stewart are boning how about them apples it's perfect just because you just like replace Kristen stewart with like a 12 year old child and this is basically her modern I reported in a recent column that uh, John Podesta and child number one were out on a dinner date discussing the upcoming film project <laughs> Frazzle Drip. I wrote that I wouldn't be surprised if a romance blossomed between the two offset because let's face it, both the, both the politician and the child are notorious for hooking up with their co-stars. Well, I'm sure that many who are familiar with their gossip tabloid writing during this time were surprised to find out about how incredibly pilled she would later become. It seems like the skill of making things up out of thin air was already pretty well ingrained in her earlier work, just dedicated to the love lives and activities of celebrities and not to, say, Trump's pretend fight against child sex trafficking. This period of Liz's life abruptly and tragically ended in 2013, following her ex-boyfriend Mallory Hill allegedly giving her herpes, which developed into viral meningitis and caused her to have brain damage. In a lawsuit that was settled outside of court, Liz claimed Mallory was aware for over 15 years that he had genital herpes and knowingly infected her without her knowledge. Liz also developed post-traumatic stress disorder and suffers from chronic headaches and crippling anxiety from both abuse as well as brain damage she acquired during this period of her life. Following her inability to work full-time, Liz was laid off the National Enquirer in 2013, officially due to downsizing. Also around this time, Multiple women, including Liz, came forward about being sexually harassed by the top editor for the National Enquirer, Dylan Howard. Liz says that she was laid off mainly because of this. In a piece on Elite Daily, Liz writes about this period of her life. I made a six-figure salary working full-time at a tabloid. I also wrote a weekly entertainment column for a Chicago newspaper and made regular TV appearances. I lived in Hollywood and found myself attending fabulous red carpet events and traveling to amazing places like the Galapagos Islands to cover some of Hollywood stars like Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. I dated a charismatic older man who took me on vacations to his multiple homes across the country. I thought I had it all. In the fall of 2012, I grew very ill. 
I found myself in the emergency room at Cedars-Sinai Hospital in Los Angeles with meningitis. Several weeks later, I learned genital herpes caused my meningitis. My ex infected me with herpes. He initially denied having any STDs to all my doctors, which ultimately delayed my treatment. That's fucked up. My medical condition went from bad to worse when my herpes meningitis progressed to meningoencephalitis. This left me with brain damage. I was unable to take care of myself. I couldn't read or write the same way or sit up in a chair for more than a few minutes at a time because my brain was so swollen. I flew to Chicago so my parents could take care of me full time. I eventually lost my job due to my illness. I went from a young woman living on top of the world to a person who fantasized about taking her own life. Once I realized my ex caused my illness, I broke up with him. I was heartbroken. I feared no man would want to date me because of my incurable STD. Additionally, my ex refused to pay for a penny of my medical bills, so I got a lawyer and began the long process of reclaiming my life. She then began to work on a pseudo-biography of her life titled Malice, which would be released in 2015. Malice is the story of a fictional Crokin stand-in named Lana Burke as she investigates a political sex scandal involving a Republican Mormon politician running for president. Every single political stand-in used in the book is so incredibly poorly concealed and on the nose to the degree that she might as well have just written an autobiography. For instance, there is a President Mohammeda Oyama. <laughs> How did she go to Oyama, which just sounds like Japanese at that point? A Rocks News Channel and a rival news channel named BNN. The story attempts to weave Lana's encounter with a prostitute who was hired to have sex with the Mitt Romney stand-in with her encounters as an insider into Hollyweird perversions that are of course also lumped in with the acceptance of homosexuality within Hollywood, and also with Lana Burke's own relationship and sexual abuse with a fictional businessman who is much older than her. This character, named Malden, is clearly based upon her real-life ex-boyfriend Mallory, and the book contains numerous details of sexual and emotional abuses committed by Malden onto Lana. This book is written before Pizzagate and QAnon, in 2015. Yet already, we can see that Liz is connecting sexual perversion in liberal Hollywood with political sex scandals and her own experiences of abuse. Lana is also subsequently laid off from work and develops the same viral meningitis and brain damage that Liz experiences. Within the book, Lana also determines that it's her ex-boyfriend Malden that gave her herpes. Mallory Hill subsequently sued Crokin over her depiction of him within the novel and Crokin and her attorney said that this was an assault on her free speech. They settled the lawsuit outside of court. Crokin did begin to recover, though. And in March of 2016, she wrote that, The damage this disease did to my brain was so bad initially, it impaired my ability to read and write. I've been in recovery for years now, and I've slowly been piecing my life back together. Around this point, she also began to attend celebrity events again, going to a pre-Grammy opening party hosted by Kiss at the start of 2016, for instance. Whoa. That, that's clearly satanic, yeah. so that's messed up. That's, maybe maybe up she was uh, undercover. I remember one of the rumors about Kiss when I was growing up as a kid that was clearly in retrospect straight out of the satanic panic of the 80s, but it was that they had done a concert in which they had like uh, released a bunch of chicks, like baby chickens, mm -hmm. and used their boots to just like stomp on them as they played music. And I was like a kid, I was like, damn, that's crazy, man. Those guys are wild. <laughs> and now I'm like, okay, I see. The what question is, did, what, is that a type of like rumor that they would spread? This is like what the Christians spread. They're like, these guys are Satanists. They're sacrificing animals on stage. They're killing like innocent little chicks. They were um, 
uh, Rivers Cuomo, the lead singer of Weezer. They were his favorite band. <laughs> no comment. Kiss rocks, though. I listened to some of their music recently, and it's not what I would put like on blast all the time, but I can understand how it inspired Rivers and some of the songs that he wrote, and I appreciate them for that. Jake, you can kiss your participation in this podcast goodbye. <laughs> 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 Got it. <laughs> oh. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, because this is 2016, if she genuinely was going to that as like an undercover thing, the Kiss Grammy mm-hmm. party, like we're going to see if they're... Oh yeah, she was already like taking notes. <laughs> She's watching her feet to make sure if any chickens any like are released, she doesn't step on them. I guess I'll try this cocaine and see if the mark of the beast is in it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if I can see the beast yet. Guess I guess I have to do a little bit more. <laughs> but she generally began at this point reintegrating into her B-list celebrity gossip-based media sphere. Her return also concerned a distinct change in the things she was writing about. In Out of Shadows, she says that after 2015, she, quote, had to go back to covering hard news, meaning that as a response to the traumatic things she had experienced, she wanted to cover something more important than celebrity gossip. So in the middle of 2016, she began to write for right-wing rags such as The Observer and Town Hall. Her early pieces, after coming back to cover hard news, read essentially like any other conservative Trump-supporting culture warrior, complaining about how the news is unfair to Trump, how tech is censoring him, etc. Liz is best known in this period for quote-unquote breaking a story about Hillary Clinton overcharging her poorest donors. In September of 2016, in a piece titled Exclusive, Hillary Clinton Campaign Systematically Overcharging Porous Donors, written for The Observer, Crokin gives a single example of a working-class Minnesotan woman who claims to have signed up for one payment of $25 to the Clinton campaign, but was then double-charged for $25 and then charged another $19 a few days later. Well, you see, um, if you look at the numbers here, um, you've got 25, which is... Oh, for, for Bill and 25 together that's 50 that's Jesus that's Jesus Christ it's Trump it's the Trinity Tommy. and then 19 uh, 19 uh, you look at um, 25 you take 2 from 25 out of 19 you get 17 that's Q bloody old Tommy you've done it again you extra bangers and mash for you this week he does need to write like news stories like that that would be I would read them all it's unclear whether these overchargings were intentional or a glitch in the banking system or even a glitch in Hillary's own campaign administration. Following this single real example, Crokin then goes on to say that the Clinton campaign is purposefully, systematically overcharging many of their poor donors, which seems like the worst, least efficient, and most potentially damaging method Hillary could employ to gain more campaign money. She claims that the overcharges are occurring so often that the fraud department at one of the nation's biggest banks receives up to 100 phone calls a day from Clinton's small donors asking for refunds for unauthorized charges to their bank cards made by Clinton's campaign. Quote, we get up to 100 calls a day from Hillary's low-income supporters complaining about multiple unauthorized charges. A source who asked to remain anonymous for fear of job security from the Wells Fargo Fraud Department told The Observer. The source claims that the Clinton campaign has been pulling this stunt since spring of this year. The Hillary for America campaign will overcharge small donors by repeatedly charging small amounts, such as $20, to the bank cards of donors who made a one-time donation. However, the Clinton campaign strategically doesn't overcharge these donors $100 or more because the bank would then be obligated to investigate the fraud. 
Snopes contacted Wells Fargo, who said that the Clinton campaign had nothing to do with the rumors of overcharging and declined to comment otherwise. Essentially, this piece by Liz is as solid in terms of its reporting validity as a speculative gossip column. And just searching the title of this piece yields dozens of results of regurgitations of the story that present the anonymous, unsubstantiated claim about hundreds of calls a day by unsuspecting working-class Clinton voters as true. Man, I would say Lib Agar right now. Kind of like defending <laughs> Clinton, you know, it's just unlike her. But... You know, I just I just got the vaccine and I'm feeling a little different. <laughs> <laughs> this We should make the title of this uh, episode in defense of Hillary Clinton, actually. Yes, Can we? Yeah. yes, please. But in terms of how pilled Liz would become, comparatively speaking, we haven't seen anything yet. It's very easy to understand how this period of Crokin's life moved her towards becoming pilled. It seems as if the truth of her experiences of abuse and mistreatment were combined with her longtime conservative views to create a very pilled individual. She was in a perfect position to absorb the Pizzagate conspiracy early on. And in a video titled, Journalist Threatened for Exposing Clinton Corruption, Pizzagate and Pedogate, in all caps, on Crokin's personal YouTube channel, she goes over what got her into Pizzagate. Hi, my name is Liz Crokin. It is February 18th, 2017. I am an advocate for sexual assault and rape victims, and I'm also a journalist. I'm making this video because I believe that my life is being threatened, and I feel that I am in danger and I'm unsafe. So I'm making this video as an insurance policy. As we all know, Trump got elected into office. And since he was elected, I've gotten really involved in researching Pizzagate and Pedogate and these high-profile pedophile rings. As most of you know, I was the victim of sex crimes, and I have made it my goal and my purpose in life to help other people who have been victims of rape, sexual assault, um, child sexual abuse, any kind of sex crimes. I've been personally touched by the horrors of a sex crime and I want to do everything within my power that I can do to help other people who have been through similar horrors, especially children. As most of you know, I have been posting on my social media a lot about these pedogate stories and a lot about these recent sex trafficking busts involving children. And just to give you a frame of reference, since Trump was elected into office, in 26 short days, there was about 1,400 people arrested for sex trafficking in 26 days on United States soil. Now compare that to how many arrests there were in the entire year in 2014, and it's about 400. Make no mistake, this is not a coincidence, it's no accident that all of these arrests are happening now that Trump's in office and there's a new regime in control. So to bring you up to speed what happened to me recently, about a week ago, I got asked to be involved in a project with some really major government whistleblowers uh, talking about child sex trafficking, pedogate, and pizzagate. I met with two people involved with this project. They had suspicions that they were being followed. 
and right after I met with this this couple and agreed to participate in this project that I believe is so important um, I had something extremely horrible happen to me that was extremely frightening and uh, without giving away too many details let's just say that I was roughed up and I have bruises like this all over my body to prove it. The story she is referring to in the later part of the clip is something that she would publish six days after this video on February 25th, 2017 for Town Hall titled Why the MSM is Ignoring Trump's Sex Trafficking Bus. Within this piece, a month after Trump was sworn into office, Crokin claims that there have been a staggering 1,500 plus arrests in one short month. Compare that to less than 400 sex trafficking related arrests in 2014, according to the FBI. The examples that Crokin does give about the supposedly unprecedented scale of sex trafficking arrests are contingent firstly on undercounting sex trafficking arrests that happened in 2014 by only using data from 26 state level arrests during that year, as well as not counting arrests done by federal agencies. Also, most of the arrests that she claims are Trump cracking down on sex trafficking in his first month were either stings planned before he took office or arrests entirely unrelated to sex trafficking. So mostly prostitution charges for sex workers engaging in consensual sexual activity. This of course did not matter for the people who shared it though. And this would become a crucial fake story early into Trump's presidency that got people convinced of QAnon. A year into Trump's presidency, many anons had decided that even though there had been no visible sex trafficking crackdowns, Trump was doing it behind the scenes. And this Crokin story published a year before that was an essential element of this theory. This view became so prevalent, it was tweeted out by Roseanne Barr in April of 2018, around the same time that the Roseanne reboot had attracted 18 million viewers in its first week on ABC. Her tweet read, President Trump has freed so many children held in bondage to pimps all over this world. Hundreds each month. He has broken up trafficking rings in high places everywhere. It's really not that hard, though, to understand why she hates sex workers so clearly. I mean, talking about Liz Crokin, because she was competing with them for the love of this asshole who also gave her a venereal disease. Like, she's obviously she's gone psychotic and she's awful, mm -hmm. but you can really see why her angers uh, started up. I mean, Hollywood turned their back on her. Uh, you know, this man abused her and, you know, was kind of cheating on her with sex workers. It's like, <laughs> it's, I don't know, it's pretty transparent. She got like a horrible disease and probably had to use pretty strong painkillers. Yeah. And the, like the in her book, the like stand in for Mitt Romney, the big scandal is that he is engaging in consensual sex with a sex worker. Yeah. And that that's a part of sort of like the perversion that's happening in politics. So, I mean, yeah. I'm sure she didn't have a particularly favorable view, probably because of she's conservative as well. It's it's perverse because the, the sex workers weren't unionized. All sex workers who have sex with politicians should have strong unions. That is true. While Crokin likely did not pill Roseanne, as far as we can see, her tweet parroting a theory that went back to Crokin did cause quite a bit of controversy, considering the amount of attention the reboot of Roseanne was garnering around this time. This newfound controversy only made Roseanne more pilled, though. And in May of the same year, the reboot to Roseanne would be cancelled. While the tweet inspired by Crokin was not the direct cause of the cancellation, Roseanne's ex-husband, Tom Arnold, did tweet out... Oh, you mean friend of the show? Ex-guest? Friend of the... 
friend of the show, Tom Arnold's a real pimp and a player in the positive sense of the term. Um, no, no, no. He's he's out of his mind. Uh, oh, let, yeah, let's absolutely. be clear. We don't have to be positive about Tom. We just have to give him uh, respect and say, ex-guest, you know, maybe he'll come on again um, if he's got more, you know, if he has that piss tape. I would love that. If he's on, please, please let me be on too. Show us the P tape, Tom, or you can't come back on. I'm sorry. I know this hurts Jake. I can see it in his eyes, but this is just the truth. <laughs> All right. So this is the Tom Arnold tweet. Ton of respect for Bob Iger. Tough decision with financial consequences for his company, but right for America. Um, now don't bub Bob, but maybe someone else find out if I'm still banned from all of at ABC Network for calling Roseanne Barr out first on her racist conspiracy tweets. So I'd like to imagine that Tom sent Bob Iger that pill tweet inspired by Kroken. It makes sense that management would side with her because her ratings, the amount of money that they were making off her even at that point is so high, whereas Tom mm-hmm. is not really one of those people, so... He's probably a little, mm-hmm. little pissed off mm-hmm. about that. He would more be one of those people if he showed us the P tape. Yeah, he should. Show, show it to show us. Show it, Tom. Let's see it. He should and will. Crocken's influence in evangelizing for Q early on isn't just limited to inspiring Roseanne. And in a now-deleted Facebook video recorded in November of 2017, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who of course would become the first openly pilled sitting congressperson, said this about how she got into QAnon. Q is telling us he's an anonymous source and he's on 4chan and more and more people are starting to talk about him. Um, I first heard about him from Liz Crokin and just saw some of her posts and she's been yelling all along that Mueller is a white, wears a white hat. She's been saying all along that he is a good guy in this and he's really going after um, the swamp creatures and that it's under the guise that he's looking into Trump-Russian collusion. Um, So... If she's correct, gosh, she's, you know, she's going to be winning big. So I think that's awesome. The significance Crokin had in promoting Pizzagate early on is also clearly on display in a Pizzagate-related documentary called Out of Shadows that was released at the start of 2020. She features heavily in the documentary, and the director of the film, Mike Smith, even says that Crokin was his first peek into the conspiracy. She even gained enough attention that her claim that Chrissy Teigen, quote, runs in circles with people who rape, torture, and traffic kids led to, among other things, John Legend quote tweeting her, getting 150,000 likes and saying, You need to take my family's name out of your mouth before you get sued. <laughs> I don't think they actually sued her, but they both Chrissy Teigen and John Legend were like, we are going to sue you. For calling us pedophiles. Jake, do you mind taking that with, um, you know, I'm going to leave both of these in, obviously, but could you just take that with an R&B voice and sing it? You need to take my family's name out of your mouth before you get sued. (laughs) Excellent performance. Excellent performance. Incredible. Crokin's significance in this period essentially comes from the fact that she learns about Pizzagate quite early, before Q even existed, and had a good reach into white suburban Christian Americans because of her supposed journalistic credentials. A pattern you can find with Liz in many of her videos during and after the period in which she begins to gain attention for promoting Pizzagate is a paranoia that she is going to be killed by the deep state. This may seem as if it is performative, and to a certain extent it might be. Yet I also think she does genuinely believe she might get put on like the Clinton kill list. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What we're likely seeing here and to preface, I'm not a psychologist, is delusion or paranoia in the clinical sense of the word. 
likely brought out or at least made worse by her brain damage. This was brought to you by the Medical Clinton Foundation. (laughs) (laughs) She seems to also mistake the news for real life. And so when someone attacks her, or even attacks, you know, Trump on the news, she thinks that that person's life is in danger. Here's a concrete example of this as it relates to Trump and Trump slander. Are you worried about the possibility of Trump being taken out in JFK fashion? I mean, is he pushing the buttons too much here? Well, of course they're going to try, but I do believe that Trump's God's anointed. So I used to worry about that, and I I don't anymore. I truly believe that he's protected, he's God's anointed, and God will not let anything happen to him. And every time I get nervous and I worry about him and someone... You know, just attacks in the media or there's, you know, someone jumps the fence at the White House. That person needs instant karma. I mean, you look at all these celebrities that have, like, tried to trash them and spoken out against them. They literally are meeting, like, like for example, Oprah, by the way, and I know she didn't, like, specifically mention Trump uh, in her speech at the Golden Globes. But, like, let's all be real here. Like, she's not a fan of Trump's. She's part of the club. She's against him. And the the stunt that she pulled at the Golden Globes was against what we stand for, and it was against Trump. Well, what happened within 48 hours of her dog and pony show at the Golden Globes? Her freaking house is in the middle of a mudslide, and Oprah is, like, stuck in this mudslide. I mean, God is unleashing his wrath on anyone that goes against God's anointed. And that is Trump and his army. So that includes people like you and I. And I believe that we're protected because God's fed up. He's had enough. It's time for these rats to be exposed. And these people that sit on their high horse and they trash God's anointed will meet immediate karma. And we see that time and again. I mean, we have people like, you know, carry on under with like mocking Trump at the Country Music Awards, and within, like, what, 48 hours, she, like, breaks her wrist or something? We have, like, some Olympic skier mocking Trump, and then she, like, breaks a leg, and she can't compete in the Olympics? It's like, I mean, there's story after story after story of, like, anyone that comes out against Trump is just, like, struck by lightning the next day. I'd like to point out that this podcast has done nothing but uh, belittle uh, Donald Trump, and our our lives have gotten significantly better. Mm, I feel like I've been struck down by many things. Yeah, my afflictions are worse than ever. Yeah, that is God centered it on Julian. The punishment. <laughs> he was like, "I He's must like, choose one." You will be cast one. out of your land. You will live in foreign exile. <laughs> Another obvious factor in Crokin's beliefs is God. God really holds the entire thing together for her and allows her to connect absurd events such as a California mudslide with people being mean to Trump on TV. It also intensifies her paranoia as she can connect the Satan-worshipping pedophiles with real events in her own life. As an example, here is something she said in a video at the beginning of 2018 that has since been removed from YouTube, sadly. These people I'm exposing believe in Satan, and they've garnered power from that, and they're using that to hurt me. They've cast spells on me. Both of our dogs got sick and had diarrhea with blood in it within 24 hours of each other. Our dogs didn't even hang out together. This was right after we were together and did something powerful together. These things make me realize that not only is the devil real, but God is real, and Jesus Christ is real. These people that are worshiping the devil that I'm exposing are just confirming for me that Jesus Christ is my Savior. 
A common theme within Q-drops is obviously that there are no coincidences. Anything that can possibly be connected ought to be. In a godless world, this connection making is obviously much more difficult. One individual, like Q, can only theoretically do so much behind the scenes that can be sussed out by those who watch the news, as clearly he can't be behind everything. This is obviously why there are so many Christian anons, as when a god is put into the equation, there is literally nothing that you can't bake, even your own personal experiences that could not possibly relate to Q if you were a nobody are now connected to the plan. Now I gotta I gotta bring in Deleuze and Guattari. Ah, uh, oh, D&G, of course. Deleuze is a beautiful name. And now Guattari yeah. is disgusting. This is goddamn Italian. This is self-hating <laughs> Italian, man. I hate, As you can see. I hate Guattari. <laughs> <laughs> Guattari is sort of the Luigi of the big couple. Why, why must there be a second player in this game? <laughs> <laughs> but Deleuze and Guattari argue that the world begins to mean things before anyone knows exactly what they mean. So you can choose to ignore these meanings, or you can connect them and find a pattern. So events within one's world, things they see on the news, etc., have a potential significance and connection that can be made, even if most people choose not to find a pattern in them. As an example, they say, Your wife looked at you with a funny expression, and this morning the mailman handed you a letter from the IRS and crossed his fingers. And then you stepped in a pile of dog shit. <laughs> you... <laughs> Welcome to Italy. <laughs> what can I say? This is just life. We have the biggest dog shit. <laughs> okay, so you wake up, you smoke a cigarette, you look at your lover, you tell her, I must go back to my wife. You step out with your espresso at the same time, you step in a dog shit. <laughs> the quote continues, uh, You saw two sticks on the sidewalk, a position like they were the hands of a watch. Uh, they were whispering behind your back when you arrived at the office. It doesn't matter what it means. It's still signifying. Damn. Yeah, we should so have... Can... Jake could do like a whole ebook of Deleuze and Guattari clearly doing I mean... his French and Italian and just people <laughs> would love it. What if yeah. it was... What if, <laughs> what if a chef you'd seen on a can in America and uh, <laughs> Pepe Le Pew had a podcast? Basically, you can choose to ignore these things, to brush them off as coincidence, as most people do in most of these cases. Or you can go all in, connect them all to some central source of meaning. You know, maybe all these things are connected because the government is spying on you. Maybe God is trying to send you a message, etc. Making these connections is essentially what the baking process in QAnon is all about. Importantly, and why I bring this up, is that Deleuze and Guattari see making connections between different seemingly unconnected daily occurrences in one's life as related both to having paranoia and to believing in God. So it's not a surprise that when these things are combined, especially along something like QAnon, the bakes never end. For Liz, world events, as well as events in her own life, are connected through the nexus of God and Q. Every event in her life that seemingly could have some sort of pattern that could be connected together with something else is connected, and it's done so through the central narrative of God and QAnon. In the Crokin video we watched where she explains why she got into Pizzagate, she says that after her Clinton story got a lot of buzz and received attention by the mainstream media, she claims that there was a force trying to physically harm her. What likely is happening here is something similar to her claim about her dogs. Some entirely unconnected events in her life had her likely imagining that Satan worshippers had casted a spell on her. As another example, Krogan had a surfing injury in 2018, and this was her response. At least 
the pain will be temporary so so anyways no one's threatening me you guys you know in this respect no one cut off my fingers um unfortunately it was just a freak accident i mean if there's anything that that happened to me that's related is that these people that i expose engage in witchcraft you know the people like marina abramovic the people like hillary clinton and for the deep state articles that are getting ready to like write like a hit piece on me right now well look it up look it up we do research on hillary clinton and bill clinton and their trip to to haiti and how i think it was their honeymoon they admitted to doing voodoo there together you know research marina abramovic like she talks about the rituals she does she's an occultist you know she all these people dabble in witchcraft and spirit cooking so you know do these people like do witchcraft against me like of course they do and i wouldn't be surprised if they were like casting spells on me the night before so so yeah I, i'm sure that the headline tomorrow will be like oh conspiracy theorist liz crokin says her fingers got chopped off because you know hillary clinton casted a spell on her well these people do engage in witchcraft they do cast spells on people I mean, Hillary Clinton went to a witch's coven in New York not too long ago, and on their own Instagram page, they identify as a witch's coven. It's like, not a secret. So, anyways, um, so yeah, I'm sure that, you know, there's like some spiritual stuff going on. This Incredible. is like drunk, drunk North Shore girl, like at a party that's like out by the fire pit and like, you know, nobody's really like talking to her. So, you know, if you go out there to smoke a cigarette or whatever, you'll just get bombarded, you know, bombarded with, you know, whatever she's got on her mind. Yeah, just like the Valley Girl accent compared to or yeah. alongside the believing Hillary Clinton is a pedophile is great. He was croaking at the end of 2017 after she accidentally went live on Facebook. I've never done a Facebook live in my fucking entire life. And I went with my girlfriend, Crystal. And somehow, some way, I've never done a Facebook Live in my life. Uh, there was a video posted on Facebook that I didn't post that's supposed to be a Facebook Live. It's clearly edited. Watch it here. Here it is right now. I was told, Anna told, there's something really weird going on. I was told, Anna told, there's something really weird going on. I was told, Anna told, there's something really weird going on. Over and over and over, over and over. Everyone's like, what's There's up? What's wrong? Really I didn't post this. I did not fucking post this. By the way, after the Hillary event, we were followed by multiple people. I'm not making this up. This is such bullshit. This is obviously the deep state. They obviously were like tracking my phone. They obviously recorded me. We know the NSA has the capability to do that. The CIA does too. They're trying to fucking scare me. I'm so sick of this bullshit. I've been dealing with it for a long time now. One of the reasons I think Koken is a true believer in everything she's saying is how clear it is that she does not enjoy being stalked by the deep state. As another example, in January of 2019, here's Kroken talking about why the mass arrest of pedophiles has yet to happen. If they don't happen this year, then I'm gonna have to bow out of this because exposing this for the past two, and it's been over two, two and a half years, has really taken a toll on my health and I'm sick of it. I'm sick of talking about it. It's so depressing and it's, I'm just over it. I'm gonna have to move on because it's just taken such a big toll on me and my health that I don't think I can stay in this fight 
if the if it continues to drag on for years and years and if these mass arrests don't happen this year. This may feel like it's finally a moment where Liz makes a statement about Q that can be falsified. But importantly, nothing about what she said implies that if the arrests don't happen in the year of 2019, they won't happen afterwards. Liz is herself saying she is exhausted of having to deal with the deep state stalking her. So what happened to Liz after Biden was sworn in as president? Following Biden's inauguration, we have Crokin writing this on her telegram. We all took a punch in the gut the day Joe Biden was quote unquote sworn in as president. The majority of us did not expect this being part of the plan. Now that the dust has settled, we're all seeing a ton of evidence pouring out suggesting that things do not add up with Biden's quote unquote presidency and that yes, it's fake. On top of that, Biden has done more damage to this country in 72 hours than any quote unquote president in history so much so that many of his supporters are now outraged and publicly calling him out. From people in the fracking industry who are losing their jobs to those who can't afford EpiPens with his freezing of lower drug prices which happened under Trump, Biden voters are getting a reality check of what a true Biden-China presidency takeover looks like. As all of this chaos ensues, the military is still in DC and will remain there for weeks. If you still believe they are there for Biden's inauguration security, you're a sheep. I still trust the plan and Q. Yes, the deep state is using Biden's quote-unquote inauguration as ammo to attack the Q movement, but so what? Seriously, who cares? I've been consistently and relentlessly attacked since 2016 for exposing Pizzagate. I lost my career, reputation, and almost everything, but did I crawl into a corner and cry to my mommy? No. I kept fighting and fighting and fighting and then went on to be a part of a documentary that woke up literally over a hundred million people across the globe. Thank you Mike Smith. If I would have given up when things got rough, there may not have even been an out of shadows and millions of you would still be asleep. So just stop. If you're bailing out now, you're weak. Q said the end won't be for everyone. I trust the plan, but more importantly, I trust God. And he did not take us this far to abandon us now. Our faith is truly being tested. The best advice I can give is to turn off the news and talk to God. I truly believe he's about to give us our Red Sea miracle and it would be a shame for you to be on the wrong side when it happens. It would be a shame for you to be swallowed up in the ocean with Pharaoh's men. Wow. Please walk into the ocean. They will, it will definitely part. The mummy storm is here. And it would be a shame if you got some sand in your knickers. <laughs> in a video released in February of this year, she claims that the attention from being featured so prominently in Out of Shadows led her to being attacked to such a degree that she, quote, had to involve law enforcement. But she has said that she is planning on making more content despite Trump being out of office. And it appears that her vindication to fight the fictional satanic pedophile cabal remains strong. Incredible expose, Liv. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and she, I you know, you know, knowing that she was just uh, today firing uh, guns, and you know, just uh, she that she had a pretty decent deal on an Eastern European pistol that you can attach a suppressor to, uh, is just good. It's feel, it feels because great. we're about to put out a a piece on her, and so you wrote it, <laughs> but she she can. Like, I know the gun, and you can attach a suppressor to it. That's all I'm saying. Listen, uh, she is in a different country, so I'm hedging my bets. That's true. They would never let her into Canada. If she went abroad, she would definitely have, like, like Katie Hopkins, a, um, I think it was, 
uh, a ketamine related like incidents where she did, she claims that, yeah it was interesting there's an incident at the border she's trying to cross into like vancouver or british <laughs> columbia and she just has like a loaded suppressor in her trunk and they just obviously <laughs> Listen, find it. A, lo- a loaded suppressor 12 hits of acid and um i'm going for this person live posting <laughs> yeah. today's story is titled live croaking live agar stood with their notebook in hand, waiting anxiously outside a modest Hollywood abode. She was about to assemble the final piece of their QAA episode on Liz Crokin. And, unfortunately for Liv, that involved interviewing Crokin herself at Crokin's Southern California home. (laughs) (laughs) This is actually a company policy. Liv was nervous. Crokin's madness was well documented. A gossip columnist turned full-fledged fascist. If Liv was honest, she wasn't completely surprised. But in the same breath, how the hell had a young journalist with a bright future taken such a dark and twisted turn? She glanced down at some notes she had taken from Liz's Wikipedia page. Liz had been diagnosed with a form of meningitis so severe, she claimed it had left her with brain damage. Could that be the reason she embraced and amplified wild conspiracy theories? Liv wasn't sure. There was a light click on the other side of the door, and it swung open to reveal a smiling Liz Crokin. She looked great dressed casually in a denim button-down and some comfortable sweats. No different from any other 40-something LA-er. Hey, come in, Liz said warmly, gesturing for Liv to enter her home. Is this the home of Elizabeth Crokin? Liv asked, unsure what to make of the seemingly well-adjusted woman beckoning them into her house. Liz chuckled in an uncomfortably endearing way. The crazy nut job, it's me. Her self-awareness, it was striking, very peculiar. The two entered the home and Liv immediately felt threatened by the home's open floor plan and ample amounts of natural light. Bookshelves were stacked stacked neatly, tasteful art hung on the walls. Wow, your place is really nice, Liv said. Liz waved her hand. Oh, it's a mess right now. I've been working so much lately. Kind of gets away from you, you know? Uh Uh-huh. Liv nodded, thinking about the sorry state of their own living space with an oversized gaming chair that had been slowly disintegrating into small pieces of plastic over a long period of time. <laughs> Listen, I, I, get, I get paid for this show. It's two meals a month. Currently, I don't have enough to afford another chair. Sorry. We, we pay her in hamburgers. She's vegan. It's a good arrangement. This was fucked up. How does someone that believed Donald Trump and special counsel Robert Mueller were secretly working together get to be this happy? Where were the shrunken heads? Where were the large foam MAGA fingers? It was too perfect, too sane. Can I get you something to drink? Maybe a seltzer? Crokin offered, traipsing into her large kitchen complete with finished granite counters and expensive looking serveware. Uh, I'm okay, thanks. Liv remarked. Liv was broken inside. She had come to see the final act of the freak show, the main attraction, and yet... Here it was, living a life indistinguishable from the pages of Pinterest. Crokin could tell Liv was caught off guard. Look, I I get it. You journalists, I mean, you come here, you think you're going to find, like, shit smeared all over the walls or something like that, right? Liv gulped nervously. Uh, kind of, yeah. Liz laughed. You know, I tried telling people, but I get it. It's tough, you know, through the lens of social media and all that. She motioned for Liv to take a seat on a cool vintage green sofa and then plopped down with a sigh on a larger couch a couple of feet away. I'm just a normal person. I'm the same old Liz Crokin who was writing about celebrity rumors back for the Tribune in 2004. Except now the rumors are true, and the celebrity's America. It was a good line, 
but Crokin didn't even notice. She continued on, pummeling Liv with blow after blow of thoughtful discussion and a staggering <laughs> amount of self-reflection. How in today's social media climate, you had to go big to wake people up to the smaller issues, that being censored had boosted her subscribers, and although she had benefited greatly, expressed a desire for fair, honest media so that outlets like hers would one day be unnecessary. Liv glanced down at their notebook. All of the questions she had written seemed meaningless now. There was no story here. Just a pilled North Shore white who had followed the money and found a starving audience. Liv felt like if she didn't ask at least one question, the whole trip would have been pointless. She scanned the notebook, ashamed. Do you ever think Q will post again? Liz laughed. <laughs> QAnon never left. They've been posting nonstop for the last eight months. Just under hundreds of different accounts instead of one central one. She paused for a moment, thoughtful, then asked Liv if she wanted to see her renovated basement. You know houses in California don't have basements? It's kind of bizarre. I grew up in the Midwest. I had to install a proper basement down there, obviously. The pair walked down a flight of carpeted steps, descending into the den. Something was different. Liv immediately noticed a strange scent in the air. Not candles, not incense. It smelled like their old high school science classroom on Owl Pellet Day. <laughs> 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 Owl Liv pellet day, common day in Canada, <laughs> once a year. Oh, you know, we're going to uh, <laughs> pick out some owl pellets. <laughs> maybe, if you're, hey, maybe if you're lucky there, eh, you might find a mouse skull inside one. Today we're going to spell out our initials in mouse pellets again and warship Moloch. As Liv rounded the bottom of the staircase, she was struck by the stark contrast in design. The basement was set up like a high-tech laboratory, complete with large floodlights, camcorders on tripods, and various beakers filled with bubbling liquids. Lining the walls were hundreds of jars filled with a soggy pink mush. Liv had no idea what they were, and that was troubling. In the corner was a giant chamber. It was cylindrical in nature, and the tubing making up the bottom was fire engine red. The top half of the chamber was painted a bright white. Liv adjusted their glasses. It looked almost like a, like a giant red pill. A heavy sounding door slammed behind them. Liv swung around. Standing in front of a large steel door that had sealed off the basement steps was Crokin. A sinister smile plastered on her face. I'll be honest, Liv. I expected a little more of you. Most journalists have to be drugged in order to get them into the lab. But you didn't put up any fight whatsoever. How sad for you. And fortunate for me. Crook had pushed a red button on a nearby remote. The giant red pill chamber twisted on its hinges, opening like a Russian doll, spewing heavy fog across the floor of the basement. My latest invention, the devaccinator. It rebuilds the harm to your DNA caused by the vaccine. Liv sighed. Come on, I just got the vaccine. Crokin nodded, serious. Oh, good. Um, perhaps it hasn't run its course yet. You might be able to be saved. Liv was getting scared. Might be? Crokin furrowed her brow. Well, that's the thing. I mean, we have yet to run a successful test. Many other journalists and philosophers before you have, you know, entered the machine. But the results were not ideal. Crokin gestured to the jars of pink mush lining the lab. Liv was horrified. And what if I say no? Crokin pulled a CZ P09 pistol out of her waistband. I'm afraid that's not going to be an option. Liv was being backed closer and closer to the misting apparatus. The light from inside it was blinding. 
If she knew one thing in the world to be true, it's that this machine would surely turn them into a pile of goo, never to be heard from again. Their remains stashed next to jars of pulp, labeled Ken Klippenstein and Jared Holt. Remembering something she had once seen on YouTube as a child, Liv quickly reached for the gun while karate chopping Kroken's hand in the opposite direction. It took Kroken by surprise, and the pair wrestled back and forth, their hands jockeying for control of the weapon. As they did, the gun discharged five or six times, the ricocheting bullet shattering the nearby jars. Goopy remains of former journalists sloshed all over the lab, eyes and teeth and brains <laughs> spilled onto the floor, almost looking up at Liv, crying out for help. <laughs> <laughs> Amidst the melee, Kroken lost her footing, slipping on a small tuft of dark hair lying next to a shattered jar labeled Jordan Yule. She grabbed onto Liv's sweatshirt, pulling the two of them inside the giant red pill-shaped chamber. It began to close. Guess I'm dead. Liv muttered out loud. <laughs> <laughs> Screamed Kroken <laughs> as the doors sealed and a blinding flash of light obliterated all senses. The steel chamber hissed open. Liv glanced around. She was alive, but Kroken was nowhere to be found. The machine must have vaporized her, Liv thought. How fitting. Kroken's own enormous red pill had spared an anarcho-Marxist, yet blasted its inventor into the 11th dimension. <laughs> this was ideal. Eventually, Liv found the release valve for the basement door and traveled back to Vancouver, where she began to prep the episode for Julian. This time, she had her own Jake-style story to tell, except it was real, <laughs> and it nearly cost Liv their life. But something strange began to happen. When her parents would ask them simple questions like, what happened to all our beers? Liv began to answer in increasingly stupid, nonsensical answers, saying things like, <laughs> President Trump has freed so many... <laughs> President Trump has freed so many children held in bondage to pimps all over this world. She didn't even think about it. It would just sort of tumble out. When she began to record her own podcast that evening, an episode she thought she had titled Explaining Marx's Capital, Volume 1, Chapters 4 to 6, ended up being released as How Robert Mueller and President Trump pulled off the biggest sting in history. Liv's subscribership exploded. <laughs> <laughs> the videos she posted were racking up millions and millions of views. She even changed their Twitter name to Liv Crokin. The ad revenue alone was enough to buy the entire Edmonton Mall, where she and their family lived, spending relaxing Sundays in the wave pool and regularly falling asleep in giant massage chairs in front of 12 flat screen televisions. It was paradise. But something was wrong. Liv's skin began to grow cold and slimy. She was constantly eating flies. <laughs> and no matter where she was or who she was talking to, she was unable to stop from saying the dumbest things imaginable. After a friend had asked them if they wanted to go see A Quiet Place 2 together, Liv had replied, Do you know Elon Musk gave President Trump early access to Starlink? He's posting from space now. It rocks. Liv gasped at the time. She couldn't believe she was saying these things, but they seemed to be coming from somewhere deep inside. On another occasion, when a friend in need had asked Liv to help him with his sick mother, Liv told him, Do you know that Teen Vogue is openly promoting witchcraft to children? The friend had stumbled away in horror, partially because of what Liv had said, but also because Liv's skin was turning pale green and their eyes were beginning to bulge out of their sockets. Something was seriously wrong. 
The devaccinator machine had messed Liv up bad. Perhaps she had absorbed some of Kroken's DNA? She wasn't sure. Then, one night, after Liv finished streaming to over 50,000 viewers celebrating the one-year anniversary of Out of Shadows. <laughs> uh, Twitch.tv slash LeVegar for the... She made a horrifying discovery. Their fingers and toes had become webbed together. Liv really started to panic. She desperately dug through her desk and produced the original notebook from their fateful interview with Kroken all those years ago. Then, she remembered. Julian! She screamed aloud. She had forgotten all about the episode she was supposed to have delivered years ago. Liv was so busy with the overwhelming popularity, she had completely forgotten to turn anything into QAA's producer and co-host, Julian Field. Last she remembered, Field was in Bermuda waiting out a sticky visa situation and delving into his own brand of madness. Maybe he would be able to help. Maybe he would be able to relate. <laughs> what did you turn me into? What did you What did you do, Jake? Why are you already laughing? I can, he, something awful. Something awful is coming. There's no way he would put in like all my like QAs producer and co no, no, If it wasn't just... like what's reversed for you know reserved for me is to literally be sentient dog shit. <laughs> it's just, it's just, you're normal in it. I don't really do anything to you. Okay, but it's just funny because I know it's just, coming. So it's constantly paranoid, <laughs> guilty. You just have a guilty face, I guess. <laughs> This story broke me. I don't know why. What's going on? Okay. All right. I can, Maybe I can, it's I can't Travis even see his here. face right now because we're <laughs> over Skype. <laughs> but I will tell you he is crying. Travis, and it's red. <laughs> it's red and his neck is becoming the size of his face. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now he's batting his head back on the window. All right. He's All flailing right. around in the middle of the room. <laughs> he's rotating. He's crying. He's fucking crying again. <laughs> it's not even that funny. It's not even that good. Liv purchased a ticket that night and hopped on a red eye to the Caribbean. Throughout the flight, she could sense she was rapidly devolving. Liv tried to stop themselves from pulling off their mask mid-flight and berating the sheeple flight attendants and sheeple passengers. But alas, she was unable to. By the time she landed in Bermuda, she had to ask to be transferred to a small bowl of fresh water to a small bowl of fresh water in order to travel to Julian's <laughs> modest apartment on the outskirts of the island. There, peering through the reeds, she saw him, a tall, slender, off-balance man with a thin mustache and bright yellow hat. He was bobbing his head up and down, wearing large, bulky headphones. Liv tried to call out to him that she needed help, that something horrible had happened, that she was sorry about the Crokin episode, but all that came out was crazy ramblings about Seth Rich. <laughs> and what did it matter? The balcony door was shut tight. Julian would never be able to hear, especially not with the 300 other tiny tree frogs chirping wildly <laughs> under the bright night sky. <laughs> but wait, a glimmer of hope. Julian rose from his seat and headed over to the balcony door. By some miracle, maybe he had heard live after all. No dice. He slid the balcony door open and absentmindedly lit a half-smoked spliff, inhaling deeply and coughing. <laughs>
It was a nice night, thought Julian, as his vision blurred from the strong herb and tobacco. He exhaled a plume of smoke up into the cool night air and headed back inside. He was going to have to try and mess with his noise gate, he thought to himself. The frogs seemed extra loud tonight. Thanks for listening to another episode of the QAnon Anonymous podcast. Please go to patreon.com slash QAnon Anonymous and subscribe for five bucks a month to get a whole second episode every week, plus access to our entire archive of premium episodes. Uh, you can also go to patreon.com slash liveagar, uh, where Liv has a philosophy podcast, and you can subscribe for $2 a month, so much better deal than our show. So true. Okay. When you subscribe... Oh, come you, on, Jake. <laughs> what, go off, King. When you subscribe, <laughs> you help all of us stay advertising-free and editorially independent. We usually stream twice a week at twitch.tv slash Anonymous, and you can follow Liv Agar on Twitch, as well as Julian Field, as well as myself uh, under the moniker Florida Flynn. Uh, for everything else, there is the website QAnonAnonymous.com. Listener, until next week, may the deep dish bless you and keep you. It's not a conspiracy, it's fact. And now, today's auto cue. This virus was created by the cabal, specifically Bill Gates. And I also believe that the good guys, the white hats, knew that they were going to release this virus and they intercepted their plans to use this virus as a false flag and they are now using their plans with the virus against them by using the virus as an excuse to lock down the country and many other countries so the military can go in and safely conduct these raids and military operations to sweep up these criminals. There's a lot of Anons that believe that the White Hats tainted the elite's adrenochrome supply with the coronavirus, and that's why so many members of the elites are getting the coronavirus, if indeed they do have their coronavirus. Um, so adrenochrome is a drug that the elites love. It comes from children. The drug is extracted from the pituitary gland of tortured children. It's sold on the black market. It's the drug of the elites. It's their favorite drug. It is beyond evil. It's demonic. It is so sick. So there is a theory that the White Hats tainted their adrenochrome supply with the coronavirus.